Hey everybody, Chris here. Just a quick note about this episode. Uh, this episode is with Paul Corsaro, our strength and conditioning coach from Chattanooga, who runs Crux Conditioning down there. And in the second half of this episode, for some reason, we have a bunch of clicking and popping and interference. Uh, I'm not sure why it was there. I've mostly gotten rid of it, but because I'm a stickler for this thing, I just wanted to point it out in case those things pop in, no pun intended, and Paul's voice might be changed a little bit here and there. So just letting you know, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. And I'm Paul Crisaro. And together we form, I can't believe I've never thought of this, but Ben and Jerry. <laughs> it's ice cream. It's Ben Moon and Jerry Moffat. How have I never made that connection? I don't know. All I didn't the, make that connection until you said Ben Moon and Jerry Moffat. duos <laughs> that I've had to come up with throughout these board meetings, and I've never thought of Ben and Jerry. I've eaten... Many, many pints of Ben and Jerry ice cream. I've never come up with Ben Moon and Jerry Moffat. I've even said, oh, I'd love to go to Sheffield and interview Ben and Jerry. And it's never, never crossed my mind that that's an ice cream brand here. What the hell is wrong with me? Do you think maybe they've got some sort of a private stake in Ben and Jerry ice I cream? I bet they do. They're both shrewd businessmen. <laughs> so I bet that they're the owners. And those little drawings are Ben and Jerry when they're older. Though they already, they're already older. So those are actual portraits of Ben and Jerry <laughs> right now. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. We are, we are here in Starcraft, the power company spaceship in the Red River Gorge. And um, we're here with Paul Corsaro doing our second for the night. And Paul is, I don't know which one of these is going to come out first, so we're just going to repeat a bunch of shit here. Let's do it. Paul is a strength trainer, climbing coach out of Chattanooga. You guys have heard him on past episodes about kettlebells, about good form. Uh, he's been in several of the all four of us board meetings, whole team board meetings. Um, and he owns a gym down in Chattanooga, Crux Conditioning, which you should definitely visit. If you happen to be going through Chattanooga, which many of you will, because it's, it, it could be if the weather were better in Chattanooga, I think it would be the best bouldering in the country. I wouldn't argue with that. That might be blasphemy for people who love Waco or love Bishop, but it's just a fact. I would say if the weather was a little better and there was a bit more public land, yeah, would be the thing. If it had Waco's weather, it would be amazing. Yeah. But Waco has Waco's weather. So Waco's amazing. So yep, won't all argue of, with that either. <laughs> all of the good places though. So get out and vote for your national parks. <laughs> get out and vote for your national parks. Is that what you said, Taylor? Yeah. November yeah. 6th. Get out and when vote. Is it's gonna be <laughs> way after November sixth, but next November sixth, get out and vote for your national parks. 
Um, and Paul's here tonight to talk about the top five reasons that we like kettlebells. Actually, kettlebells are kind of the reason we connected yeah. mm-hmm. early on because you were starting to get back into climbing. Is that right? Yep. I had taken about a year and a half off or so, and I just reached out to you because I liked what y'all were doing with Power Company, or I guess you at the time. Yeah, at the time it was we're just doing, me, really. We're doing with Power Company and asked you some questions about stuff, and we started talking about strength training and some kettlebell things, and things happened after that yeah and i you know you wanted a a climbing plane (laughs) yeah to be really specific some (laughs) things happened um you wanted a climbing plan and you ended up doing the boulder strong program Mm -hmm. and i wanted to learn more about kettlebells um so we ended up together well you wrote the majority of our kettlebells for climbers plan and then i went through it tweaked a little bit based on how climbers are all are training for climbing and we kind of haggled back and forth until we had something we were both really happy with mm-hmm. and and at this point hundreds and hundreds of people have been really happy with the kettlebells for climbers yeah. it's program. been cool to see yeah yeah so and and i've done it several times and feel like it's really a beneficial thing for my climbing like moving into the the v10 sphere um i thought it was one of the most important parts of my training, mm-hmm. if not the most important part of my training. Where do you think it <clears> fit the best in kind of your climbing season? Like more preseason, more off season? I actually do it. I do it during my whole training cool. cycle. Cool. Um, depending on what I'm training for, I will, I will do kettlebells pretty hardcore if I'm just training strength and power, like for a bouldering season or a bouldering trip, if I'm training for sport climbing, then I might slack off on the volume of the kettlebells a little bit or quite a bit in my like final three week power endurance window right at the end of my training cycle. Cool. Um, Just because the volume of my training ramps up fairly high and I want to really focus on the rest in between. So at that point I might just switch to like a few Turkish get ups a session or something like that. Cool. But it's been huge for me. If you guys haven't checked it out already, you should, you can do that on our website, powercompanyclimbing.com slash ebook, or just click on the train with us tabs in the eBooks. Um, It's in there. It's also set up as a proven plan with or without coach communication. If you choose the with coach communication, that all goes straight to Paul. So Paul will be the person that you're talking to and working with, and you can send videos and he'll tell you how your videos look and if you're doing things right. Yeah, we'll so. do it through Google Drive. We've used some coaches' eye for stuff of that yep. in the past, you know, slight, or not even slight, some, you know, <coughs> we'll put the tweaks in there that, you know, need to fit your schedule yet still get you what you need to get done. Yep. With that work. Yeah. Cool. And I think that's really valuable. So, but, uh, the top five reasons that we like to use kettlebells, uh, the number five reason is (laughs) this one sounds kind of obvious, but I think it's something people don't really think about when they're, or forget to think about when they're planning their training space is the footprint that a a kettlebell takes up is considerably smaller than other implements 
yeah. that you would get a similar adaptation from. <clears throat> so for me, my in the machine shop, which any of you who follow on Instagram have seen a lot of photos of, I've got a pretty small floor space for strength training. And a barbell would fit in there, but it would take up the whole floor space. But instead, I've got a rack of six or seven kettlebells that don't take up much space at all. And then I've got plenty of floor space for Turkish get-ups, swings, whatever it is I want to use them for. And then I could just take them out into the driveway and do carries if I want to do carries or walk around the yard or whatever. If you were super sadistic, you could just throw them in your pack and hike out to the crag. I'm not going to do that. Are you fucking crazy? (laughs) (laughs) So the footprint of the kettlebells is our number five. And I think that's, like I said, obvious, but really, really important. It was, yeah, it was kind of obvious, but at the same time it wasn't. You know, we talked about, (laughs) originally we were going to call this portability, but if you think about it, if you were just going to get a couple kettlebells, say, you know, I'd say for... You know, anywhere from a 12 kilo, so about 25 pounds, to a 24 kilo, or about 55 pounds. You know, those are, you're getting a lot of work out of those. And, you know, if you're going to double those up to a standard two-leg or two-arm barbell lift, you know, just for a barbell, that's what, six and a half, seven feet right there? Right. Like compared to a kettlebell, which is about eight inches long. Yeah. Mm, Maybe more. Let's just say a foot because I'm bad at math. But, um, it's about the size of a kickball. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the standard kickball dimension. Um, you're just going to be able to get a lot more weight. The beast is about the size of a kickball. I so. think, yeah, there we go. Yeah. That, that's a good kind of standard <clears throat> measurement to throw onto this. But, um, you know, compa- yeah, kickball versus a seven-foot barbell. I think we're going to be in, you're going to get a lot more use out of your space slash be able to take that with you way more easily than you're going to be just with the standard barbell set. Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with the barbell set. No, not at all. But, you know, a lot of us move around a little bit, take trips, you know, still want to keep up with our physical development on those trips. Um, if you can figure out a way to easily transport a barbell on your climbing trips, <laughs> let me know because be, I'd be really interested in knowing how. Yeah, I mean, whenever Nate is in Lander, several kettlebells just appear in my gym. Yep. You know, it's really nice because then I double up on several sizes. Mm-hmm. Um and I carried several with me on our big road trip a couple of years ago. And I think it's really important to have with you if you have that capability. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with barbells. If you have space and can do both, um, great. You know, our friend Brian Sante uses both pretty regularly, barbells and kettlebells, and believes that they're both important. Um but he has the space for that in his training area. Um, <clears throat> I could have built in the space for a barbell, but it was going to be considerably added money and time. And the the way everything was set up in the training space that I have, it was just going to be quite a bit simpler if I went just kettlebells. Um, so that was a big consideration for me. And it's, I mean, it's our number five here, and I agree with that. Even though it was a big consideration, all of these others are even more important. And our, go ahead. Yeah, so, yes, you know, moving on to the next one would be um, that there's a low initial investment, you know. Starting with the barbell, say, you know, you're trying to work on some overhead presses or squats or, 
you know, standard barbell sets, what? You're probably getting what, around 200 pounds of weights. Yeah. It's going to be a couple hundred bucks. Expensive. Yeah. You know, starting with <clears throat> a one kettlebell. I mean, you lock me in a room with a 35-pound kettlebell, I'll get stronger after six weeks. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of people have said that. They're not wrong. So Yeah. And we, in our uh, Kettlebells for Climbers ebook, we have, this was something I dealt with early on because when we first began collaborating on the Kettlebells for Climbers ebook, I didn't have any experience with kettlebells, was just interested in them. And so I didn't have a kettlebell available to me. And what I ended up doing was just buying, first actually I bought an adjustable weight kettlebell. And I think that's an, that's an acceptable way to start. Um, However, if I had to go back, I wouldn't have started that way. Um, what I ended up doing was after a month or two of that adjustable weight kettlebell, I settled on just buying one weight that was the weight that I could overhead press five times. And for most climbers, that's going to be a little too light for your pulling, for your swings, but for your pressing work, it's going to be really important. And and early on in your strength training journey, that might be the most important part of your strength training. Yeah, I would argue that most climbers need to put a little bit more work into pressing. Yeah, Whether totally. it's push-ups, overhead presses, yep. horizontal pushing forms of other... Yep, the floor press that we yep. do in mm-hmm. the, the ebook. Yeah, because we do a lot of pulling outside yep. of that. So, you yeah, know, balancing so that out is pretty important. Yeah, so that low initial investment was was a really important part of it for me that I could just buy one kettlebell and then if I decided okay, I'm going to stick to this. I like it. It's it's going to be meaningful for my training, then I can buy another one. And what we suggest in the ebook is your first bell should be the one that you can overhead press 5 times. Your next bell should be a size or two higher. Yeah. And if you I hit, prefer the two sizes higher for yeah. pulls and for swings. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's kind of <clears> where <throat> I was going there when I tried to jump in there. So, yep. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you, this shit becomes addicting, frankly, and now I have a bunch of kettlebells. <laughs> they tend to multiply, don't they? <laughs> they do. They do. And, and, Let's talk a little bit about buying them and where to buy them and how to go about that because there are a lot of kettlebells out there and they're not all created equally. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got two basic types. You've got competition kettlebells, which, you know, that's kind of the mold that were a lot of the kettlebells that when they started showing up here in the United States were based off of, and, you know, competition kettlebells or, you know, there's a couple different competitions that or a couple different disciplines that happen with kettlebells where it's either a clean and press or a long cycle clean and jerk or, you know, snatch where you're doing a lot of work without setting the bell down for about 10 minutes. Right. And all those bells, no matter what weight they are, their dimensions are the same. I don't know the dimensions off the top of my head. I don't compete in that and haven't ever. How do Um, they do that? Are they hollowed or? I think they're just different density. Hmm. Okay. Um, I yeah. wasn't even aware that was actually a thing, but it very well could be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a, just a different density bell, or maybe they're hollowed out with different weighted inserts in the middle. 
Um, I'm sure someone out there knows, so <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd be psyched <laughs> to learn. Um, but yeah, so those are all the same dimension. They've kind of got more of a rectangular handle, if I had to give it a shape. Um, then there's other uh, more conventional style kettlebells. I know Rogue makes a great set. That's, that's what pers- I preferred. Yeah, and that's what you know. That's what we use at Crux too. We use Rogue bells. So, um, but there's other brands out there that make similar ones, perform better. Kettlebell Kings. They all make great bells along yep. those uh, those styles as well, and they're gonna ho- all have similar dimensions of other bells made by other people of that weight. So you know the handle the handles are a little bit less rectangular. Um, they're going to rest on the forearm a little bit better for get-ups and snatches done in the uh, hard-style way. Yeah, I agree. I really like the Rogue Bells, and when I was first looking to purchase, I was really in... It was you know looking at the ones that were like free shipping, you know, because you look at Rogue Bells and the shipping costs a small fortune. But when you average it all out, you're not paying that much more for a good bell if you're paying for shipping than you are for the cheaper bells that have free shipping. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest going with the better brand name bell. They'll last forever too. Yeah, totally. I mean, as long as you don't leave them out in the rain, they're going to be totally fine. Um, And if you happen to be in like Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, anywhere around there, Rogue is based in Columbus, Ohio, and you can, if you happen to be driving through at some point on your way to the Red, whatever, you can stop through Columbus and pick them up in their shop, um, which is what I've done several times. I actually had our friend Brian Sante, who I mentioned earlier, buy a bell, buy two bells, my biggest two, I don't even remember what they are, a 90 something pound and and the next size down a 70 something pound and he he picked those up for me i ordered them he picked them up he delivered them to a friend of mine in cincinnati who put them on his moving truck when he was moving to colorado (laughs) and then i picked them up from him in colorado during the cwa so if you can get a friend who's moving across the country, that's a great way too to not pay shipping um, and get good bells. So that low initial investment is our number four reason and a really important one. Uh, getting into the more physical reasons why kettlebells are important, our number three is that it's one of the only implements that really encourages both stability and strength at the same time. Is that, I mean, do you agree with that statement? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, one not, of the, not that barbells don't encourage stability, but not nearly to the degree of a kettlebell. One of the advantages of the kettlebells, I think, is that you can do a lot of stuff with just one, one side. So a lot of unilateral movement. So, right. um, and so you can work on, and you know, one of the things with an overhead barbell press that could be troublesome is, you know, a lot of people have one shoulder that kind of is a jerk from time to time. Yep. Some people have both shoulders that are a jerk from time to time, but a lot of times it's one and one's all right. You know, a lot of times that could be a result of one has a little bit less mobility than the other. And, you know, if you're going to glue both of those arms to the same implement and try and press it overhead, you're either not going to get the range you need to get to get stronger overhead 
or something's going to be pulled out of a position where it should be comfortable and stable and everything needs to be aligned. So, you know, you could be furthering some of the issues you're having with that um, joint that doesn't have that issue, the joint that has that issue. So, you know, kettlebells allow you to work one side at a time. And, you know, while dumbbells do that too, the kettlebell, the weight sits a little bit off center. Um, you know, so you're getting just a little bit more challenge on keeping everything centered down the chain in the shoulder joint through the elbow, keeping a strong wrist. You know, you'll notice when some people use kettlebell work and press it overhead, that wrist kind of breaks backwards. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's important to have strong aligned wrists, especially as climbers, because, you know, if we're not strong and aligned in our wrists, we're either going to pick up the slack by using our fingers more than we need to lead to some overuse injury there or a lot Raising of times you'll see some elbow up, issues happen yep, totally. you know that we're gonna have some tendonitis pop up there so um by focusing on good form and building strength with these bells we can also help prevent some issues that could result from poor stability otherwise yeah i also like that the the kettlebells sit on your arms in such a way that encourages external rotation mm-hmm whether you're floor pressing, overhead pressing, whatever, and dumbbells just don't. Yep. So you will tend toward your natural rotation, which for most climbers is an internal rotation, and kettlebells encourage you to be a little more externally rotated Absolutely. Um, while you're pressing. Yep. <clears throat> and then, you know, another reason kettlebells can help increase our stability too is you can really increase the stability demands by doing bottoms-up kettlebell work. Just by flipping the bell upside or yeah upside down, so you're just holding the handle, right? And the bells, the, the round part of the bell up, just up in the air, yeah. And you know, that's really good for focusing on keeping that forearm vertical, working on stability on the joints, shoulders, elbows, wrist, all of that. Um, that's also important to kind of think about as a climber, because as climbers we tend to kind of grab things really strongly. Yeah. Um, if you're doing a bottoms up kettlebell press and the bell is not in line with your forearm. And it's at a 45 degree angle and you're just squeezing the shit mm. out of it, you're kind of missing the point. Yeah. So keep that in mind when you do bottoms up kettlebell work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And, you know, that's something that I, I really like about unilateral movements in general is just that it takes a little more focus and a little more awareness to make sure that it doesn't get a little wonky and a little strange that that's lacking in barbell training. And don't get me wrong, I don't I don't dislike barbell training at all. I think it's a really great way to train and an important way to train, but one of the things I really like about kettlebells is that it's all unilateral movement. It puts you off balance a little bit and you have to compensate a little bit for that through bracing your core in different mm-hmm. ways and and driving differently between the two legs or the two arms or whatever. Um, and that's what you do while you're climbing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's extremely rare that you're doing a bilateral movement while you're climbing. Yeah. Yeah. Very rare. Yeah. I don't know that it, that it ever even happens, you know, unless you're on a system board with perfectly parallel holds or something, but standing up on both feet while pulling down with both arms. Right. That happens all the time, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Actually, I, I watch Annalisa do that all the time. After she clips a bolt, she just grabs two holds and pulls up and looks around. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Had to call you out a little bit. <laughs> but um, 
so yeah, that's something I really love is just the the unilateral stability focus of kettlebells. And that goes for all of the big movements as well. I have a lot of people do, you know, really heavyweight half rack squats. Mm-hmm. Um, and carries with them yeah. off to the side and yep. yeah, carries, anytime you bring- even the holds just holding a kettlebell in a rack position yep. i often have people use two different size bells a, a couple of sizes apart mm-hmm. while they're just in a rack position and focusing on breathing because you're not just you're never in a situation while you're climbing where you're equally loaded on all sides you know, and if you can't breathe in a situation where your your loading is unequal and putting you a little off balance, then climbing is going to be really hard for you. That clock's going to start ticking real quick. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so um, kind of helps focus on breathing behind that tension in the front. So you know, yeah, breathing behind the shield. I guess helping with power endurance, helping with you know when you have to do a lot of hard moves right in a row, so you don't kind of run out of gas near the end. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you want to take a break? Move on to number two. Sounds good. All right, break. Break. What's up, everybody? Chris here. Pardon the interruption. I'll keep this short and sweet. Since this podcast started taking off and we've been growing it, you guys have been asking how you can help out. I've got three ways for you. Number one, you can become a patron. That just means you give a monthly donation to the podcast, a dollar and up, and you get something in return. And you can check out what those rewards are at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast. Best of all, we'll keep it sponsor and commercial free for you. Number two, you can rate us and review us on iTunes. I know it's a pain in the ass to go to iTunes and do all that, but it really helps us out. At least that's what I'm told by the podcast powers that be. And number three, perhaps the easiest way and the best way to help us out is to share us on your social medias. Anytime you see us post up a new podcast, please share it with your friends. Tag people who will really appreciate it or who need to hear the advice that we're giving. All right. Thank you, guys. And back to the show. And we have returned. We're here with Paul Corsaro talking about the top five reasons that we like kettlebells here in the StarCraft, the power company spaceship in the Red River Gorge. Um we're on our number two, and this is actually something that I get a lot of, a lot of people don't quite understand at first. I think this is a tough concept for people because we've been so steeped in the tradition of add a half a pound, add a pound, you know, just add the smallest plates that you can on each side so you can make really incremental progress, which is great. <clears throat> and that's what I was steeped in. And seeing kettlebells jump from one size to another, take these, you know, nine pound jumps or whatever they are. Is that right? Is it nine yeah, It's pounds? usually eight-ish. So if you think about it, it's usually, yeah, usually right around an eight pound jump. Eight okay. to nine. Yeah. <clears throat> so those big jumps are number two is that they encourage mastery and growth at those specific weights. And so let's dig into that a little bit. If you're, this is something I hear often. If you're overhead pressing with, say, a, a 12 kilo bell, is that one of the? That's yep. one of the sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm still learning the kilos here. I usually just call them <laughs> colors. That's the blue bell. Okay, the blue bell. <laughs> if you're overhead pressing with the blue bell, and 
it starts to be starts to feel easy and you're like okay i should be moving up but then you try the next bell up which is yellow is yellow after blue at crux it is there may be a so that's there may be a 14 kilo bell but i don't have it no i think yellow is in my head yellow was smaller than blue but i think i had them switched yeah no yellow is the 16 kilo thank you taylor (laughs) so if you're you want to move up to the yellow bell but you get two reps in and you're like there's no fucking way i'm finishing five reps yes what's the benefit in going back to that blue bell well you know you get to build some volume there so you know increased volume at that weight's going to build your tissue's tolerance to stress you know keep sending signals to adapt for that tissue and also you're going to keep grooving that pattern keep getting better at that pressing pattern mm-hmm. you know a heavier bell you're going to it's going to be required that you're going to have to generate more core tension squeeze the glutes more you know mm-hmm. access more of your body's strength so you know as you get more tired through your pressing arm with that lighter bell you're going to have to call all those other factors into play. You're going to have to squeeze the core more. You're going to have to squeeze the glutes more. You're going to have to squeeze that free hand more. Right. So, you know, letting that fatigue happen and forcing you to kind of bring other things into play while pressing that same weight bell is going to be a little bit less threatening and more approachable way to learning that skill of really, you know, dialing in. (laughs) (laughs) Talking is hard, Paul. Sure is. Um is um it's really going to bring it help reinforce that skill of dialing into everything you need to do to get the most out of your body in terms of strength and you know we've said this word a lot tonight but tension yeah how to get really the most possible tension, tension out of everything so you know it really highlights these learning opportunities and instilling a sense of patience and really looking at getting good at moving well instead of just trying to do a little bit more numbers wise Yep, and that's something I really liked about the the kettlebell ebook. The few times that I've gone through it, is that I know that the next week there's another round being added, mm-hmm. so I'm not as tempted to try and jump up to the yellow bell, you mm-hmm. know, or move up to whatever that next size is, because I know next week there's going to be more volume. It's going to be a little harder, and once you move through those weeks consistently adding volume the way that we do in the first phases of the kettlebell plan, then moving up to that next bell becomes considerably easier Mm -hmm. than if we had just jumped up how we're taught to do. Right. You know, as soon as you can do it, then move to the next weight. Yeah. And yeah, jumping up and then trying to do that increased volume when you've tried to jump up, jump up and wait a little bit earlier than you should have. Like there's no way those sessions are going to go as planned. Like you're probably going to have to drop back down, you know, maybe a little bit of mental stress from that. Um, God forbid something bad happens injury-wise, you know, it yep. really helps promote a bit more patience this yep. way. Yep. I've heard, here's a question for you. Um, I've heard a lot of people comment on getting stuck at a, a Turkish get-up weight in particular. And I do think this is a tough exercise to advance in. and. Nate suggested something to me this past summer that I've employed and really liked that I had just never even thought about. And that's that I do two get-ups in a row without putting the bell down. And I was like, 
mind blown, you know, like, oh, I don't just do one get up and put the bell back down. It gets way harder when you do more it than one, doesn't it? way <laughs> harder that second time. And you really have to focus and you really have to dig in. Even at a weight that felt pretty damn easy on the first get up, the second one is like, all right, it's game time. I really have to focus on this one. We actually just had someone at Crux um, finish up a Turkish get-up cycle where she, you know, she was owning the 35-pound kettlebell. She's actually not a climber. So she may never hear this, but she was owning the 35-pound kettlebell. And then, you know, she could get a single with the 44-pound kettlebell every now and then. And we just went through a cycle where she was doing three in a row with the 35-pound kettlebell for five sets. Wow. Two weeks ago, she has done, as of two weeks ago, she is doing consistent singles with the 55-pound kettlebell. Wow. All because of that. And just took a couple time, couple weeks of just building volume with a slightly lighter bell right. than like a heavy single bell. Right. Yep. So that's a good, a good method in your opinion. I think just so. To yep. Double up on those reps. And the, the reason that was kind of mind blowing to me, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is a fault in the program. It's more a fault in the fact that I've not gotten the second, the double bell program out yet. So, you know, you've got it mostly written. We just have to format it and put it out there into the world. It's been a minute. There'll probably be some <laughs> tweaks. It's been a while. <laughs> um, so I've just repeated the single bell program over and over, and we're only doing single get-ups in that program. Um, we're doing some complexes where a get-up is part of the complex, but it, it just never occurred to me, well, shit, just do another get-up before you put the bell on the floor. You know, so adding that volume... Just like you would in a, you know, adding rounds, adding reps of overhead presses or, or racks, half rack squats or whatever it is. Yeah, another one I really like is doing a get up and at the top of a get up, take it for a walk, doing like an overhead carry, like down the length of the yep. room and back and then get back down. So you're just pretty much adding an overhead carry at the top of the get up. That's another good way to add some time under tension mm-hmm. to the shoulder. Yep. Yep. Yeah, super cool, super cool. And I I really just, I mean, I can't emphasize this enough. Most of us have been steeped in this tradition of add half a pound, add a pound, add two pounds, you know, just very slowly add weight. And what I see happen so often in that situation, and I've seen people try it with kettlebells. I watched a, a friend of mine damn near drop a kettlebell on his face because he wanted to do a get up with a bigger weight. He was like, "No, I just did that one." And I'm like, "No, you really didn't. That that didn't even resemble a Turkish get up." You know, and he's like, "No, I stood up with it. It was fine." And then he tried to do it with the next bell and and it hit the floor and he got his head out of the way in time. Um and I think, you know, those big gaps kind of help highlight that more than other weights. It highlighted do. it for sure. It's like <laughs> Like, you know, after someone does their first 12, 12A or 11A or 10A or 13A or something, they don't immediately go and try a 13, 13B their next pitch or 12B their next right. pitch. Or if they do, it just, it doesn't, most of it the time, usually it doesn't go well. Poorly. Yeah. yeah. You know, it building volume at your limit or just below your limit is key in pretty much anything you do performance-wise. Yeah. It's the same as trying to master that grade or two below what your very top grade is. You know, if you if you want to climb 513, 
then mastering 12B, 12C and being able to climb a lot of that without getting really, really fatigued becomes a really important skill um, because that's what a lot of the moderate climbing on a 13A is. And that's really similar to mastering a Turkish get-up at one weight before making the jump to the next weight. And it encouraged, you know, those those big gaps encourage that. And that doesn't happen with barbells. And by working on mastery, you know, you're going to get a lot more growth that way. <coughs> yeah, totally. Um, our number one for why we like kettlebells, especially for climbers, is that they really encourage athletic movement. It's not just pick up a heavy weight, set it down. There's quite a bit that goes into it. And I've I've used the Turkish get up as an example a lot of times and called it I think about it like a boulder problem. Like it's got all these little intricate parts and you have to be really, really good at these intricate parts to make a successful Turkish get up. You know, it's like a it's like a five move boulder problem. And especially on the way down when you're tired, like if you're you start rushing or get impatient, things are gonna go south on you. But at the same time, if you like you understand that you're tired and it's okay and you just stay focused, stay deliberate, and you know, remember your beta as a way to say it simply, like, you know, you'll finish that get up. So right. it's a good kind of mental mental training for that. Yeah, and I think that's the foundation of it is something like the Turkish get up and treating it like a boulder problem. But then you move into these ballistic movements like uh, swings and snatches, um, cleans even, that that are really, really athletic in that you have to create all this momentum. You're swinging this big, heavy iron object around, and then you have to stop it, and you have to control it, and you have to do that through your own tension. Yep. And that's really what, what athleticism is, is creating force and being able to have some control over what happens with that force. Absolutely. Yeah. Flipping that switch of turning tension on and turning tension off. So, mm -hmm. you know, let's say a kettlebell swing, when you're exploding out of that backswing position, you know, you're generating a lot of force, you're getting tight, you're standing up into that plank. And then there, you're just holding that plank, holding that tension as the bell's floating. And the second that bell gets back into that backswing phase, you're being able to release that tension throw that bell behind you, get a good stretch through the hamstrings, and then reverse that and bring it right back up into that plank. So you're basically standing up into a really tight hard-style plank, relaxing as you reload, and just doing that over and over and over again, similar to, say, you know, on a hard compression pro problem where you're going to explode off of a foot, you know, hit a sloper and squeeze with all your body, you know, move your feet where you need to do it, get the foot in place, do that next move, get tight, relax, reset for the next move, get tight, yep. relax. So again, we kind of talked about this in other episodes, but it's a simpler context for a skill that can be um, demonstrated in much more complex ways when climbing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, like the kettlebell swing, which is sort of the, you know, the bedrock with which, kettlebell training is built on almost everyone recognizes a kettlebell swing and they know what it is um i think a lot of people don't quite understand it though 
trying to swing a heavy kettlebell is totally different than trying to swing a 20 pound kettlebell. And I'm not saying you should just jump in and swing a beast, but, but building up to that is something really important for the forces generated in really hard climbing, learning how to control. And I, I use the word control lightly there because you're really just accepting its momentum and then learning how to change the momentum. Yeah. You're not really, you're not controlling it as much as you're just moving with it and and, under, and understanding it, you know? And making sure you're rooted <clears throat> into the ground so the bell doesn't pull you forward. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So there's some level of control there, and mm -hmm. that's exactly what climbing is, you know? They're really hard moves. There's a level of out of control mm -hmm. that has to be there and if you can't toe that line, then you're going to end up unsuccessful. And I really think swinging a really heavy kettlebell for me has been hugely important for towing that line because I've, I've taken it overboard. Like I've tried to swing a kettlebell when I'm not quite ready and I'm having to like stutter step a swing, little bit. Swing, take to a couple catch steps it. forward, <clears throat> swing, take a couple steps forward. Yeah. Or, yep. And then I'm like, okay, I wasn't ready, yep. you know, reset put it on the ground, mm -hmm. breathe, brace, try again, you know, and that's exactly how climbing moves are. If you're not ready, you're not going to latch the hold, but the better you can get at making yourself ready at bracing, at creating that tension and being prepared for those forces that are about to happen, the faster you're going to be successful at those crux moves on your project. Yep. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of, <clears throat> Climbing's an athletic sport, just like everything else. Being able to tap into that athleticism is huge for success. Yeah, and that's not saying that you can't learn these athletic movements through barbells and Olympic lifts, things like that. Or even fast power lifts. Like, it's doable. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just, totally doable. It's just a way we like. Kettlebells know. are a really easy intro into that. And, and not just an intro. I think they're an easy... It's easy to get a foothold in it, and then you can take it as far as you want with kettlebells, frankly. Um, but there are other avenues. This isn't the only way to do that. This is just what we like. Yeah. And we like them a lot. Yeah. And you guys, if you haven't, check out the Kettlebells for Climbers ebook. If you If you have no experience with kettlebells, I had zero when I started this plan. Um... And now I feel like I know quite a bit about how to use a kettlebell. Um, and that's all through watching the videos that, that Paul created for this plan. And it's going to go through all of the basics, the get-ups, all of the presses, swings. Um, you're going to learn a lot in this initial plan. You're going to learn how to structure your training so that you're adding volume you're going to learn complexes how to add how to take one kettlebell movement transition it into another and then you know wrap that whole movement up and i just think it's a really great primer and a great training plan for getting stronger for climbing and if you're ever curious about a uh, kettlebell work and want some in-person instruction you can always look up on the strong first website um, and you can find an instructor close to you too
Yeah, absolutely. If you're in the Chattanooga area, look up Paul at Crux Conditioning. He's also on the internet, cruxconditioning.com, and on the Facebooks and the Instagrams at Crux Conditioning. You know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find that kettlebell ebook at powercompanyclimbing.com backslash, back I almost said backsplash. That's not what you want to do. Backslash ebook. And uh, on the Facebooks and the Instagrams, we are at Power Company Climbing. You can look for Paul on the Twitters. I'm not on there. You're not going to find him. And you're not going to find Power Company Climbing on the Twitters because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 time